You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church. If you would like to find out more information about us, please visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We, um, as a church, and so you, we want to continue to drip this language so that you know what we are about. So we gather on, on the Lord's Day to equip for the work of ministry, right? We gather, we grow, and then we go. So we gather to equip. We do that through the Word and through community Uh, We grow into our five core values, our specs as we call them, scripture, prayer, engage with the culture, in community, stewarding resources uh, for the kingdom of God so that we can then go and be the church, right? Because we don't, the church is not this building, this is just a building on 68th Street. The church is you. Uh, We wanna equip and then we wanna go. And the way we do that as a church, one of the ways on on our Sunday morning gatherings is through the word of God. So if you're a a first-time guest, what we typically do is we open a scripture, we work ourselves through books of the Bible primarily um, so that we have running context so we can't skip the hard stuff and, and so that you kind of get equipped by the word of God. So if you don't have a Bible, uh, we'd love to give you one. Uh, I'm sure you can get one download on your, on your phone right now, which is fine too. What we just wanna be, and we just encourage you, if you have a Bible, bring your Bible to church with you. Uh, we wanna be people of the word. If you, if you can come to church and don't have to uh, read the scriptures, then you know that's kind of kind of a little bit of fruitless, and so get you a uh, Bible, get you a uh, copy of one, we'll help you, um, you guys, you know, any way we can, write in it, um, read it, and, uh, and you'll, be, you'll get more out of the sermon if you are not playing Angry Birds, if they still have that, and you're, and you're following along, all right? I don't know if they still have that, but they used to have that. All right, we're in Genesis 29. Okay, so, so back in the day, not that long ago, because I'm not that old, but I'm old enough, uh, we, we had these things called radio stations, young folks. I don't know if you know that exists, right? I know you have XM and you have iTunes, you have Spotify, you have all the, or whatever, new things. But back in the, in the 70s, 80s, maybe 60s even, if you wanted to hear a song and you didn't have a tape or an eight track for some of you or a vinyl for some of you or, you know, a cave drawing for some of you, whatever, <laughs> what you would do is you would call that radio station and you would request a song. Any of y'all ever, do, how many of you requested a song before? There you go. All right, here, here's the next level down. Here's the real romantics in the room. How many of you ever dedicated a song to a sweet thing? Raise your hand high. All right. See, this is what happened. So younger folks, if you wanted to hear a song and you wanted someone else to hear a song and you knew they were listening to the radio because we had nothing to do back in the 80s besides listening to the radio, um, you would call that radio station and say, I want you to play Journey. Anything by Journey, really, for that person. And they'd be like, all right, we'll tell old you know, Delilah or whatever, you know. Uh, and so they play faithfully or, you know, wheel in the sky or something for old girl, okay? Or if you just wanted to send a message, maybe you just got dumped, right? And you just, you didn't have email and they wouldn't answer your phone calls or busy single. So you just wanted to send a message. So you call up and I need to hear our, I need to hear Chicago's look away. <laughs> when you call me up this morning, tell me about the true love you found. I'm really happy for you, right? And you send that out. Or if you really, you know, you've, you heard the, Old, old girls messing around, a boy messing around. Call it a little REO speed wagon. Heard it from a friend who, heard it from a friend who, right? So it was, a, it was a way you could send a message. Now, everybody gets to hear it, right? Everyone's listening to the radio, hears this thing, and Chuck wants to let Delilah know he knows, so he wants REO speed wagon to let her know, right? But the message was for one person, although everyone was welcome to hear it. And when you come to Genesis 29, I think that's a little bit what we're here, having here. Everyone is welcome to hear this narrative. It's a narrative that's written in the scripture. But I think the point, the main point of this text is actually directed 
at a specific group of people. Originally, the original audience was the people of Israel who were wandering around the wilderness, right? They got to the promised land. They said, no, we don't want to go in. So God says, okay, let's go walking. They walked for 40 years. That's the original audience. But as we kind of get down the road 2,000 years, 4,000 years, the audience is still generically the same. It's the people of God. Those who have been chosen by God, those who have been redeemed by God, those who have been rescued by God, who have been delivered from slavery into freedom, that's who the message is too. But it's also, here's, here's where it gets a little tricky. It's also to a group of people who are under the discipline of God. See, this is a very unique situation. You have a group of people who are loved by God. Does God love his people? Yes. He's providing for them in the wilderness. He's giving them manna every day. He's protecting them. He's got a cloud over them the day. He's got a pillar of fire at night. He is guiding them. He's giving them his word. He's doing all these great things. He loves them. But they're still in the woodshed. And it's a tension that we don't always get. But I think it's something that we gotta unpack a little bit today because that's the reality of this text. Jacob, the guy we've been following along, loved by God, chosen by God, protected by God, woodshedded by God. And I think the same is true of the people of God living 4,000 years later. That, that, that we are an object of God's love and affection, but sometimes things don't go the way we want and it may be because of just life or it may be because God is bringing this because he wants to do something. So I think I want, I want to kind of talk about that tension today as God is shaping us and molding us. Again, this is welcome for everybody, but specifically, I mean, this is a message for the people of God who say, as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God. If you have received Christ, if you have believed in his name, this message, I think, rings very true. This song has been dedicated for you. All right, so we're gonna jump in. Where we've been, if you're kind of your guest again, is Jacob, who is a cheater and a liar, which is what his name means, has tricked his dad, has tricked his brother, and now he's on the run, right? His mom and dad said, you need to get out of Dodge because Esau wants to kill you, and while you're in Kentucky, go marry one of your cousins because that's what they do there, right? Just kidding. So he's told to go get a wife from his family who live in Haran, and so last week, Clint unpacked, he gets about 50 miles outside of town and in a place called Luz, great name, and God shows up. And after a little Led Zeppelin stairway to heaven, see, so you didn't even get that either. I mean, some of y'all, that's like the greatest rock and roll song ever. All right, after the Jacob's Ladder, where God reveals himself to him and promises protection and provision that his mission would be successful, that he would find a wife, that he's gonna be with him he, re, he changes the name of the place to Bethel, house of God. And for the first time ever, 77 years old, he is now a worshiper of God. It's not just the God of Abraham and Isaac. Now it's the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? And so he's got some spring in his step. He's still got to run, and he's still facing some consequences, but he knows God is with him. That's where we pick up. And remember, his is a big journey now. He's got to go 450 miles to Haran. That's like walking or riding a camel or whatever from here to Richmond, Virginia. I don't even want to drive to Richmond, Virginia, let alone ride a horse. So this is a long journey, but he's walking by faith. Chapter 29, verse 1. Here we go. Then Jacob went. And that word went in the Hebrew, it actually it says, it literally means to he picked up his feet. And it's a way the Hebrew writer Moses is able to kind of draw attention to, hey, he's got some spring in his step now. It's a new lease on life, a new sense of direction. Despite the huge challenge, 
He's excited about what God has for him. So he, he goes on his journey and he comes to the land of the people to the east. And as he looked, he saw a well in the field. And behold, that word behold means see. See it? You see the well? Now you don't see it, but Moses is trying to draw you in. I want you to see it. Here's why. A well for the, the Jewish mindset is like christianmingle.com. His daddy, Isaac, where'd he find his wife? At the well. We should have named this church The Well. And then we'd have a bunch of singles running in here, right? <laughs> but the idea of, of blessing, of, of God's provision is seen at the well. This is why, by the way, when Jesus shows up at the well and there's a woman who's been married like 57 times and the disciples are like, oh, and everyone's like, oh, it's because this is the mindset, Right, that's, that's why it's so shocking that Jesus would be engaging this woman at the well. And by the way, what does she become? She becomes part of the bride of Christ, doesn't she? Right, see the symbolism running through the scripture? So that's why there's such a shock there. But he comes up at a well, and behold, three flocks of sheep are lying beside it. For out of that well, the flocks were watered. And the stone on the well's mouth was large. So you have a well, you got sheep everywhere, you got a big old rock that takes several guys to move. And when all the flocks were gathered there, the shepherds would roll the stone from the mouth of the well and water the sheep and put the stone back in its place over the mouth. And so they were very kind of inefficient. They're kind of like the guy, you know, the construction guy on the side of the road is just like standing there and there's like 17 guys that are all doing nothing. And you're like, what are they doing? Well, that's what's going on here. You got a bunch of shepherds, they got a bunch of sheep. They're just waiting for someone to take the top off the well, but they won't do it but once a day. So they just wait for all the sheep and do it all at once, which is super inefficient. The sheep should be out gathering, eating, but they're waiting. But anyway, he's just kind of, it's kind of cultural. We don't get that well, but that's what's going on. So Jacob says, my brothers, where are y'all from? Where are, he doesn't know where he's at. He, and there's no road signs, no GPS. He's kind of crossing the world. Where are y'all from? What town? And they say, we're from Haran. He is like, you are kidding me. That's where I'm supposed to be going. He said, do you know Laban, the son of Nahor? We do. We know Laban. You, wow. He says, is it well with Laban? Is it literally shalom? Is it peace? They say, shalom, it's peace. And dude, you are in luck. See that girl, Rachel? That's his daughter, that's Laban's daughter. And you're thinking, how lucky is this dude? I mean, he wandered across the wilderness, just so happens to come to the right spot, at the right well, with the right people, with the right hottie that's walking up. And she is, we'll find out. And see, you might think, oh, that's certainly lucky. And I would say, no, that is certainly the hand of a God who promises provision and blessing, moving him to the right spot at just the right time, All right? And so he says to the guys, he says, behold, it's still high day. This is, this is what I was telling you earlier. It's not time for the livestock to be gathered together. What are the sheep? Go pasture them. They said, we can't until all the flocks are gathered together. The stone is rolled from the mouth of the well. Then we'll water the sheep. So we work for the city. We do it our way. Right? And you just go away. We'll do our thing. So basically, they wait for all the sheep to get there. They unroll the stone. One time, they water them and go. Even though that means in the hot of the day, when they should be grazing in the fields and eating, the sheep aren't doing it. And he says, that's super inefficient. I'm an indoor guy, and I still know that, but whatever. And so then, while he was speaking with them, Rachel comes up with her father's sheep, and she was a shepherdess, and he loves him some shepherdess. It is love at first sight. And so Jacob believes that you never get a second chance to make a first impression, and he thinks she's hot. And so as soon as he sees Rachel, the daughter of Laban, and the sheep, 
What does he do? He runs and he takes, the, he takes that big old rock himself. He's like a teenager again. He's 77 now, but he thinks he's 17. And so he takes his shirt off. That's my, you know, I didn't, he didn't really, just to flex a little bit. And then he moves this rock and then he waters. He's like, here you go. Let me water your sheep. And he waters her entire flock and all the city employers are like rolling their eyes like, yeah. Right? And the next thing he does, then he kisses her. And then he cries. And then he tells her his name. Okay, so if you are single and looking for a spouse, you start with name and don't kiss her and don't cry on the first date. That's not a good advice. Okay? But here's what's going on. I mean, he, he is weeping here. This is the first time that Jacob has been portrayed positively in this book, right? He's been slime ball, slime ball, slime ball. Finally, he's serving someone else. He's generous. He's sacrificing. And he's weeping. Why is he weeping? Here's why. Because he is seeing firsthand God's promises come true. Right? I mean, God said, I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to protect you. I'm going to lead you. I'm going to provide you a spouse. All these things. He shows up. I mean, I mean, he has rebelled against God. He has been a slime ball. He is running away because of what he has done. And God still, after four miles, direction to the right spot where he meets the right people who know the right guy who has the right hot daughter. And he is just overwhelmed with God's provision that he just breaks down and he cries, which is just awesome. And just to take a side note for a minute, I think God does this. I think if we are, if we are truly seeking him and, 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 and humbling ourselves, there's times in our life, and ask yourself, have you ever had a time in your life where you were alone, you're confused, you just had no direction, whatever it was, and God just shows up in a super tangible way that you're like, that's God leading God, I mean, that's a God, he's directing. I don't think it's necessarily a, a everyday thing or every week thing, but I think there's moments in our lives if we're, as we walk with God that he does that. I, I remember the fir- first time, I really, I, rem- I go back to this, God moved this way. And it was when Sarah and I, we were about almost two years into our, well, no, I guess we were, no, 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 19, no. Yeah, a couple years in our way, I don't know how many years. But our oldest was only one. We were pregnant with our second and I hated being a school teacher. Um, and I was like, God, what do you want us to do? And, and we were praying about seminary, and I've told somebody this before, but I was like, I can't do that. I hate school. <laughs> like, I don't, I'm not a school guy, and so I can't go back to school. Plus, I make like $25,000 a year as a school teacher. You're not working. You're home with, with our oldest. So we can't afford to move across the country to Dallas, Texas. I mean, we got a house payment, and, and, and God showed up and sent someone to our house to put an offer on our house, and it wasn't even for sale. See, that's, that's a God move, a moment that you're like, okay, fine, I'll go to school. <laughs> I'm not gonna like it though. And, and I think God still does that. That's, this is one of those moments. This is what we just sang a little bit ago. Here I raise my Ebenezer. An Ebenezer is not a Christmas carol. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's only used one time. It is a, a monument. It's a stone that you put in the ground to remind yourself of something significant. Like last week when Jacob sleeps on a pillow and he puts oil on it and says, Bethel, this is Bethel now. And every time they walk by that rock, what is this? This is where God was. That's what an Ebenezer is. There's those Ebenezer moments in your life, right, as you walk with God. And so this is one of them. And so 
Rachel, after learning his name, says, nice to meet you, and she goes and tells dad, and as soon as dad, Laban, hears the news about Jacob, his sister's son, he runs to meet him, embraces him, kisses him, brings him into his house. Jacob tells him all these things. Man, I've come across the desert, found his well, da 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 And he says, surely you are bone of my bone, and you're my, you're my bone and flesh, and he stayed with him about a month, right? So all seems well, and after a month, Laban says to Jacob, because you're my kinsman, you're family, and family does for family, so... Uh, just, you, I don't want to not pay you, so don't serve me for nothing. Tell me, what shall your wages be? Now, this sounds like, oh, isn't Uncle Laban a good guy? He just wants to help old boy out. Let me just tell you, Jacob made nothing compared to Laban. Laban, in Laban, Jacob has met his match. He doesn't know it yet. Because what Laban, he's a sneak. He knows that the family of Abraham and Isaac is blessed and Jacob's part of it and Jacob's gonna get some, gonna be a wealthy dude and if he can get him under him, if he can own him, if he can get him serving him, then he gets in on that blessing too. So he's gonna connive his way and say, oh, what do you want? Just name your salary. Why? Because now he's got him. And so Laban had two daughters. Now, right, you know, this first month, every meal, old Jacob and you know, Rachel are looking over at each other and making googly eyes and Laban's all like, he gets it. He had two daughters though, not just one. The name of the older was Leah, the name of the younger was Rachel. Rachel's the young daughter and Leah's eyes were weak, but Rachel was beautiful. She's a hottie, right? And, and so there's a, there's a lot there. Um, now, some of you have heard this passage preached before and it's always Leah is always portrayed as like, you know, ugly. Like she's got Coke bottle glasses, she's got an inhaler, she's all, you know, you know that's how she's portrayed. Now her name does mean wild cow, so dad didn't help her out there. <laughs> okay, sorry. But <clears throat> the word for weak is actually the word for soft. It's never used negatively in the entire Old Testament. It's never used like she's ugly. It's, I think the point is not that she was ugly and she was pretty. She, clearly Rachel was pretty, but there's a definite difference here. Rachel is more flashy. She's got a spark in her eye. Her personality is probably bubbly and out there and kind of she's fiery. And Leah is just the tender one. She's the quieter one, All right? She's not flashy. She doesn't have that spark in the eye that's always out there and doing. She's more of a homebody, which is probably why Jacob is attracted to her because opposites attract. And Jacob is probably more like Leah. Remember, he's the indoor dude. So she, he is drawn to the younger is the point, right? But God's got a plan for Leah, by the way. He has a plan, a marvelous plan for Leah. But see, Jacob loved Rachel, and he says, he puts his hands on cards on the table. I will serve you seven years for your younger daughter. And he makes sure he knows which one. For your younger daughter, I will serve you seven years. Best offer on the table. That's, that's pretty big stuff. He's 77. He's gonna be 84 by the time he, he gets to marry her. And Laban says, it's better that I give her to you than I should give her any other man. He, he makes a kind of positive statement, but he doesn't make a very clear statement. Right? He's like, yeah, that's a great idea. But there's never like, yes, let's do that. Sign right here. And I don't know if he's already planning to do what he does, but it certainly leaves the door open for it, right? He certainly leaves the door open. So happens next. So Jacob served seven years for Rachel. They seemed to him like a few days because of the love he had for her. And all the ladies like, oh, isn't that sweet? Oh, 
such a good guy. Seven years, I can tell you he was counting down the days. 2,520 days, boom, 2,549. He's counting all the way down because as soon as that calendar gets to zero, he says, give me my woman. Give me my wife that it may go into her. He said, it's honeymoon time, all right? For I have, my time is completed. It's probably not the best conversation to have with your father-in-law, I'm just saying that's just not, not the way to do it. But he does it. And so Laban calls the wedding planner. He calls the photographer. He gathered all the people together in the place. He make a big feast. But here's where he goes. But in the evening, he took his daughter Leah and brought her to Jacob. And he went into her. And now there's a lot of cultural things we don't get here because I know a lot of us are thinking, how could he not know he married the wrong daggum woman? Well, there's a couple reasons, I think. Number one, she would be completely veiled when he would bring her, all right? So number one, all you're seeing is, you know, just a little bit. Number two, it's probably evening by this time. And when they go into the tent, it's clearly dark, no electricity. And, and another big factor is this is a feast, which means there was wine, which means there was celebration going on. And I think that's purposeful in the narrative because remember how I, I, Jacob fooled his dad? He fooled all his senses, he was blind, he dulled his senses for his food and all these things. Jacob's senses have been deceived, just like his daddy's. And so he goes into Leah, marriage is consequented, I mean consecrated. Laban, just a side note, gives her Zilpah, the servant. We'll see how that comes back into next week, that parentheses. And in the morning... And look at Moses trying to do it again. He's trying to bring you in. He, he's got you, you know, the old boy rolls over. And he's like, <gasps> shock of his life. It was Leah. <laughs> right? That's how it reads. And Jacob gets up and runs to Laban and says, what have you, what is this you've done to me? Did I not serve with you for Rachel? Why have you deceived me? I can't believe you would do this, Laban. What kind of person deceives people like this? If this is not a case of the pot calling the kettle black. If you're a writer in your Bible, write the word right there next to verse 25. Irony. Because what he's saying is, why would anybody be so cruel to take advantage of somebody? You were in a stronger position. I'm in a weaker position. Why would you use your leverage and deceive me and now bring long-term consequences to me? Who does that kind of thing to further their own agenda? I mean, really? Really indeed. But it gets worse in Laban. This is how it's like, it's so clear that God is doing something here. And Laban says, it's not done so in our country to give the younger before the firstborn. He said, I know you're a big city boy. I know we're just simple country folk, but out here in the country, we have this thing called birth order. Have you ever heard of it? And we always honor the firstborn, and we can't, we can't, we can't take the firstborn and put them under the second one. We just don't do things. I know you're big city and you do it. But out here in the country, our simple folk, this is, we just believe God had one born first, one going second. And so we can't circumvent that. So sorry I had to do what I had to do. But that's just the way it is. And it is stunning how this is like reading old boy's mail. This is exactly the same thing. And you could say, well, it's karma or it's poetic justice. The Bible actually has a name for it. It's talionic justice, where the punishment, so to speak, 
or the discipline fits the crime, right? And it's, this is it, and we'll come back to that in a few. So Laban, who's already got his plan, he's got the hook in. He says, complete the week of this one, have your honeymoon, go down to, you know, go down to wherever, Cancun, and come back, and we will give you the other also. He's like, yeah, I can get two for one deal, bro. Buy one, get one free. Not free. He said, just serve me another seven years, and you can have Rachel on credit, right, basically. And he, he loves her. And so Jacob did so and completed the week. Laban gave him his daughter, Rachel, to be his wife, also another servant. Again, she'll come in next week. So, so Jacob went into Rachel, and he loved Rachel more than Leah. And we'll cover next week. I don't have time today to deal with the idea of why, why is there two marriages? Why can you marry two people in the Old Testament? It's not God's intent. We'll unpack that a little bit more next week. But we already see that there's problems, right? Because he loves one sister more than the other. How's that gonna work? It's gonna work real well. We'll see next week. It's gonna be great. Great family dynamic. Right? Great family dynamic. But here's the idea. Jacob has gone out of the frying pan with Esau into the fryer with Laban, right? You say, what's the point of a narrative like this besides the fact to show you how not to do some things? Uh, I think God, this is why it's good to read uh, chapters of the Bible in order, while we teach in order, because you get to see the whole story because the story is not just chapter 29, it's 28, it's 27, but what we saw, God in 28 is teaching Jacob something about himself. He's teaching him that he's loving, that he is gracious, that he is merciful, that he is faithful, isn't he? That's what he's teaching Jacob in chapter 28. In chapter 29, he is teaching Jacob that God is holy and that he will not let one of his own children continue in sin and rebellion without seeing consequences, right? That he wants him to grow, that he wants him to learn. Yes, he's loved, but I am holy too. And here's the hard thing for us. I love chapter 28 because I love to be loved and I love grace and I love mercy and I love God's faithfulness. I don't like change, me being changed me being sanctified sometimes because that's hard. I'm real good with 28. I'm not so good with 29. I think that's the same for us too. But that's the point. That is the point. Here's, here's a great verse, great memory verse for us, right, from the New Testament. I want us to read this together. And if you don't know this verse, you're not familiar, I think you should memorize this verse this week because this is what God is doing. All right, let's read this together. Philippians 2.13. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This is why I said this song is for the people of God. This message, everyone's able to listen, but this message is for those who identify as followers of Christ. What you need to know is if you are a follower of Jesus, that God is at work in you. Whether you know it or not, he is at work in you. To will and work for his pleasure. And chapter 29 teaches us, reminds us, informs us that God is more concerned with who you are than where you are. And he is going to take this deceitful, self-willed, prideful, arrogant liar and start molding him and changing him into something different. He's not gonna let him sit in his sin. He's gonna change him. And he does it in multiple ways. I mean, we have multiple ways here. But here's, here's what I wanna do. 
I just wanna real quickly highlight just five ways in which God is molding him. I think it's the same five ways that God is still molding. That's not, that's not all-encompassing. There's more than this. But here's just five that I saw in this chapter. And then we'll sing, and then we'll go. But I want you, this is, this is some of the ways that God works. Not all, not every, but this is way. He changes us, he molds us, he, he uses circumstances in our lives to change us. You've often heard on a motivational poster or some cheesy meme, but it's probably true, that life is 10% of what happens and 90% of how you handle it, right? That's, that's the way it is. And God sometimes allows circumstances that we wouldn't choose, why? To change us. Because hard circumstances are revealing, right? They show what you're made of, don't they? I don't care if you can unpack the doctrines of grace or the Trinity or you can memorize the book of Romans in the Latin Vulgate or whatever. Okay, great. Congratulations. But see, that where the rubber meets the road is when you get on, on Duran at 4.30 when it's raining. I don't care what you have about the doctrines of grace because when you do that, that's when all the scum rises to the top and you become a secular humanist. See, that's revealing. That is revealing. Or... Here's another way. You got all your little verse cards, you know, trying to teach the kids and trying to encourage and put scripture on the fridge. Love is patient on the fridge. Love is kind on the minivan, right? Love is this, love is that. Stickers everywhere. Everyone's, yeah, love is these things. And then the kid spills the milk or your husband doesn't tell you he's gonna be missing dinner. He didn't call, right? And then all those verse cards go out the window, Right? And it's revealing. It's revealing. You see what's there. And that's the point. That's what God allows circumstances. This is why we count it all joy when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces what? Steadfastness, endurance. Let's, let's be real honest. Where have you grown the most spiritually in your life? When things were easy or when things were hard? This is why we do these things called lifting weights because lifting air doesn't make me stronger. One, I did 10 reps of air. It was great. Why? I lift weights because it's the resistance that makes me stronger. And we don't like to think about that, but that's the reality. So maybe whatever circumstances God is allowing in your life right now, he is trying to shape you to be more like Jesus. And he's trying to show you, here's what's there. Here's where I want you to go. That's one way God does it. Here's another way. Through people. In a good way, encourage one another as long as the day is called today. And then there's the hard people of the world. There's the Labans. How many of you have a Laban in your life right now? Oh, like one of you, all right? You liar. How many of you sitting next to a Laban right now? Don't raise your hand. You will have Labans. Right? You will have hard people in your life, difficult people, difficult bosses, difficult landlords, difficult employees, difficult bosses, difficult children, difficult spouse sometimes. Unless you are Tom Hanks in Castaway, you will have difficult people. And even he yelled at Wilson, and he ain't even alive. Right? You just will. And it's not that God is trying to get back at you. He's trying to form you and work with you. Because what happens, difficult people reveal a lot about you. 
And sometimes, most times, you are blind to you. It's just like your voice. You know, you hear yourself on a tape recorder or MP3, and you're like, that's not me. You can't really hear your, you don't really hear your voice. And I know there's some scientific reason. I read an article about it. I really don't care. I just know that I don't sound like I sound to me, to you. Because I'm blind to it. We are blind to our issues sometimes. And the way God gets our attention is if you're a stubborn mule, he gives you a stubborn teenager. So you can see this is you 22 years later. So you can repent of that. If you are a angry, if you have an angry boss, that nothing is ever good enough, maybe God is trying to show you that's the way you are as a parent. And B's are never good enough. And two for three is never good enough. And, yelling, so you, and the refs are never good enough. And God is trying to get your attention to show your blind spots. Right? Maybe you're the harsh critic and God is trying to teach you or he puts a harsh critic in your life because he's trying to teach you to be an encourager. I don't know. But that's, that's what they're supposed to be there for, to teach you and show you and reveal yourself. So the things that you are probably most critical about, this is the irony of the whole deal. The thing that you see in that person that is the most annoying thing is probably where you need to start. All right? That's it. And understand this too. I know you don't believe me. Some of you, you're gonna like, no, never. But some, you gotta realize that you, right now or at some point in your life, you are a Laban to somebody else. Just so you know. You're like, oh, I'm the nicest person. Laban. You are. To somebody, you're a Laban. All right? And, and so if the same patterns keep showing up in your life, God is revealing the same thing, pay attention. Because let me give you a little hint. If every boss you ever had is the worst boss ever, what's the common denominator there? It's probably not the bosses. If every one of your kids' teachers is the worst teacher ever and there's no teacher gets my kid and my kid for 12 years has had the worst teachers, it may not be the teachers. So start paying attention to the patterns that you see and people are a way God sanctifies us, he changes us. Here's another one, his love. God changes us with his love and specifically in this passage, God's love is manifested how? In God's discipline. Which doesn't seem like we, we don't like that and it's a hard truth but the reality is this, that the, the, the Lord disciplines whom he loves. The writer of Hebrews says, in your struggle against sin, have you, you have not yet resisted to the point of dying. None of us have, Right? He says, and have you forgotten the exhortation? It's an encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you are reproved by him. Why? Because for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. He chastises every son whom he receives. He's saying God the Father disciplines his own children. Nobody, he doesn't discipline other people's children. He disciplines his own children, just like me. I don't discipline your kids. Now, I've been in a line at Target before, wanted to discipline someone else's child, but I don't. Why? Because I discipline my children. Why? Because I love my kids. And you say, well, I'm, I love my kids too much to discipline them. Then you don't love them. Because God the Father disciplines his children. He brings sometimes the woodshed as a, as a, as a loving direction. There's a difference between discipline and punishment, by the way. Discipline is love. Punishment is anger. It's, I'm getting even. Discipline is not how I want you to be different. And he disciplines this, this, this man who he loves. How? By allowing him to just see his, the consequences of his own sin. 
that by the way, his sin was seven years earlier. He's been a good dude for seven years, but now he, is, he has planted that harvest and now he is reaping it. Because by the way, just so you know, the planting and the reaping never take place in the same day. Right? He planted this and now he's just facing, God is allowing him to face the consequences of his own sin and he is getting to see this is how it felt to Esau. It's like God is saying, look, he's bringing his past forward. This is how your brother felt when you betrayed him. And this is how your dad felt when you lied to him. And as much as you despise how you feel right now, you need to know, Jacob, that I despise it more. And God is teaching him about what cheating and lying does to other people. And you know what is beautiful about this passage? As he learns it. Because he's gonna have issues as we're gonna see him in the chapters to come. But you know what issue we never see in his life again? Cheating. Oh boy, has learned his lesson when it comes to cheating. And that's what God does. He grows him. And he's, he's, he's also, I mean, he could be really mad right now and go after Laban. Laban's clearly older. He could probably take him. He doesn't, he doesn't ever seek vengeance. He's growing. That's the, that's the idea with discipline. It's, it's, it's aimed at growth. And, I, and just two side notes on this. I think this is important for us to say. Number one, if you are here and you are a, you say you're a believer and you are in unrepentant rebellion against God and you haven't seen any sort of discipline or consequence, there's one of two options. Number one, it's, it's coming and God has been patient and he's wanting you to repent before, but it's around the corner. That's the first option. The other option is you may not be a follower of Jesus after all because the Lord disciplines every son and daughter whom he receives. I'm not saying every time we sin, there's all of a sudden lightning, but if there's rebellion and unrepentance and you continue to run that path and there's never a consequence, there's never a discipline, then you're probably illegitimate. You're not a, a true child of God. I'm not trying not to be harsh. I'm just saying that to be, test yourself to see if you're in the faith because God says this twice. He says it in Hebrews, he says it in Proverbs. That's the first thing. The other thing is this. This is why as a church we are called to purge sin and if necessary, to church discipline. This is why if we hear this going on, and I'm not saying every time you sin, you, know, you, you drop an F-bomb and all of a sudden the elders are standing at your house. We heard you. That's not, that's not what I'm talking about. What I'm saying is if you are cheating on your spouse and then you're coming on a Sunday morning and singing, you know, how great thou art, we're not gonna let you do that. Now you can run away, but we're gonna say you need to turn from this and repent. Right? And you can be restored. The grace of God is rich. There's a guy in 2 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians, he's sleeping with his stepmom. They put him under discipline. He seems to repent and come back and they restore him. Which is praise God. But we have to deal with sin because we are to be holy for he is holy. We have to deal with it. And I can't sit here if you're out having an affair with three other people or whatever and everyone knows it and we're saying, yeah, but, but that person's a, a, they teach Sunday school at our church. We don't really care about that. We do and God does. And that's the point. Right? That God desires his people not to be perfect because he knows we can't but to be holy and to pursue holiness. And so God's love shapes him people and his circumstances. Two more real quick. Time. God knows how to play the long game. Do you know that? I mean, he is going to put his program on hold for 20 years to get the old boy where he wants him and ain't nothing for him. That's great. 
That's an, I, I know that's hard, but that's an encouragement to me. And this is not uncommon. Moses, 40 years, go in the desert, have a nice day. I'll see you in 40. Now you're ready to lead my people. David, go run for seven, eight years from Saul. Get a little scared for a little bit, write a couple psalms. Then we'll talk about you being king. Paul, now that you're a convert and you're this great preacher, go into the wilderness for a couple years. We'll see you later. Have a nice day. Now you're ready to write some Bible, right? He often takes time to get his people where he wants them. And that means we need to be okay with that. If, he, if he's okay with that, I need to be okay with that. So as you send your kid off to, to, to winter camp, don't expect after two and a half days in North Georgia, you're gonna have the angel of the Lord show up as your child now. <laughs> oh, look, you went to camp. Thank you, fourth member of the Trinity. Okay? Growth takes time. We need to be okay with that in our marriages. You send your, your husband off to, you know, Saturday morning men's Bible study. Don't expect him to come back, the Apostle Paul. Oh, yeah, you had 30 minutes with Clint. You should be there now. It, it's a time deal. We, we don't grow physically overnight. You don't grow spiritually. But God plays the long game. Just think about it. At this point in Genesis 29, back in Genesis 11 and 12, God made a promise to Abraham that he'd be the father of many nations and all this stuff's gonna happen. Since that promise, 150 years earlier, we have three kids, Isaac, Jacob, and Esau. That's all we got in 150 years, God? Now, he's about to blow that up next week. But right now, he's playing the long game, and that's okay. And we should be okay with that, too. And so... If you are in a, in a rut in your life where you feel like you have no movement, you're just kind of stagnant, you're like, I don't know what's going on. Just know God could be moving in that, even if it doesn't feel like it. I mean, he shows up every day serving Uncle Laban. Every day, every day, every day. I don't know what's going on, but he's being shaped by God. And here's the last one. God's grace shapes us. And we see this lavish throughout this passage We see it in the beginning when it shows up and Moses draws your attention and behold, he showed up here. And behold, and it's like he's starting to say, look what God did. God just like directing this guy and blessing this guy out of of nowhere. And he doesn't deserve it. I mean, he is gonna be further blessed. We're gonna see next week, old boy is gonna have 12 sons. They're gonna be like machine gun, like 12 boys and a girl, all right? It's coming next week. Uh, and it's like, wow, how, how good are you, God, that you would do that? And not only that, he's gonna make, he's gonna make him so wealthy that everyone around him is gonna be shocked. He's gonna give him sheep and goats and all these things and sheep everywhere. And not only that, this relationship with his brother that was so, he's gonna show up, he's gonna be all scared. His brother's gonna go hug, bear hug him, get him all in his nasty, hairy chest self. But he's gonna love on him and say, whatever happened, happened, we're done. He's gonna reconcile that relationship. Why? Because Jacob's a good guy? No, because God's just gracious. And he's gracious with you. And and I think this is important because we often, especially in the church, we think God only works through hard things. God does work through hard things. You know what? God works through good things too. It is God's kindness that leads us to repentance, is it not? I mean, that's that's what Paul says. God's good. And he gives good things and he gives, he, he gives you good relationships and he gives you good parents and he gives you a job and he's all these things to point you to his goodness so you trust him. He ultimately, the ultimate good 
started before the foundation of the world when God wrote your name in the Lamb's Book of Life, when he chose you before the foundation of the world. But, but when that came to fruition, when Jesus comes to earth, he lives a life you could never live. He dies on a cross, cursed on a tree, nailed to a tree for your sin. Goes into the ground, third day comes out, being declared the Son of God in power. Gives you his spirit as a seal, as a down payment of what is to come, that one day he will return, and whether you're in the ground or you go up with him, that he who began a good work in you will complete it in the day of Christ. He's gracious. And this is the message, this is the song, I'm sending out this song to the people of God. God is at work in you, to will and work for his good pleasure. He uses circumstances, he uses love, he uses grace, he uses people, he uses time. Right, so let's let him. Let's be part of that. Let's celebrate it. I know it's hard. If you need prayer, our prayer team will be in the hall. I know some of you are in a bad way right now. You're struggling in your circumstances. You're like, I don't like this. I get it. I get it. We'd love to pray for you. Go in the back hallway after the service. We'd love to pray for you. If you have questions about anything, just let us know. You need counseling and something. Fill out a connect card and put it in the box. We'd love to encourage you. But we're gonna, we're gonna sing, only two songs. We got two songs for you. And I know some of you are hungry and you need a cup of coffee and you wanna go get, you know, whatever. I get it. But I just encourage you, just spend the next eight to nine minutes as we worship, thinking about what's God doing in my life? Asking him, what are you doing? What do you wanna do, God? How do you want, how do you want me? I know some of you, you may be even so angry with God right now because you feel like God has abandoned me, he has forgotten me. Let me encourage you, he has not. He's never been closer. He says, if you draw near to him, he'll draw near to you. Just spend some time thinking, maybe there's some, you've been heading this way and God is kind of trying to steer you back and today's the day you need to repent and turn from that. Maybe that's today. Maybe that's during this singing, I don't know. But just spend this time as we stand together and we pray and then we sing, just thinking about some of those things. Meet, meet with God. The Holy Spirit knows where you're at. I don't know where you're at, but he is sovereign, he is omniscient. He can, he can move, he can direct he can comfort. And so use this time. We give you this gift of eight or nine minutes of singing together to reflect. And then we're out. And then the real world hits. Right? So let's use that. Let me ask you guys to stand and I'll pray and then we'll sing a few songs. Father, I just uh, pray that you would move, that you would work wherever people are at, that you would use this time, just a few minutes. Singing truth, reminding each other of truth that you are good and that you do good. And that's ultimately seen in Christ, our Savior. It's in his name we pray.